0: So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I hope you can find it okay. We're going to continue our biblical worldview series that we began last week. Uh, The idea of having a biblical worldview, we began last week. And we're going to look at a few other passages too in a bit. Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 139 we'll talk about. And we're only going to talk a little about Genesis 1 this week and then more next week. I began last week a sermon series on having a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview goes like this. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Everything was created good. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Everything fell in Genesis 3. God has redeemed the world, but it's still fallen. It's not restored yet. You want to hear about restoration? Come to my Sunday school class. The next three weeks, we'll be talking about Revelation 21 and 22 and the restoration. Until then, we're redeemed, but we're not there yet. We're in the already, but not yet. We're waiting on God to make everything new and everything right. Romans 8, verses 19 through 22 tells us that all of creation is longing for redemption. Creation is not... As it should be, but it will be someday. When we suffer through sickness and death and loss, when we see what we might call natural disasters, which are really unnatural disasters, that's not the way God intended. God is going to restore all things someday. So, but a biblical worldview begins with creation. And you know, you may wonder, and I kind of alluded to this last week and talked a little bit about it, not much. You know, how can you help sharpen your biblical worldview? Well, you know, first and foremost, Read the Bible. Make sure you are spending time... In the Word of God and in prayer. Secondly, there are many good Christian sources. Check out the Colson Center. The Colson Center actually has a fellows program, and it's neat. The guy who was the college, of, uh, the president of Cedarville University when I was there, Dr. Brown, leads the Colson Fellows Program. I've not been a Colson uh, Fellow, but I'd love to be someday. Their breakpoint, they have a breakpoint. If you ever listen to Christian radio, you can hear the breakpoint daily. It's just a three to five minute little commentary every day. You could subscribe, and it will come to your email. You can read it online. You can listen on your phone. It's a very, very, very good thing. And they have many other great, great resources through the Colson Center, which helps us sharpen our biblical worldview. They were always say, politics it's downstream from culture. We have to live like First Chronicles 12.32 says, like the men of Issachar who knew the times and knew what Israel should do. We cannot bear our head in the sand. We have to test everything. Another good source, and I could help you find this if you need help, is the briefing. And it's a podcast by Dr. Al, um, Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And it's about 25 minutes a day. And he talks about news and events from a Christian worldview. And actually, if you subscribe to his email list or even on the info section of the podcast, you can actually look up the articles and actually go to the actual articles. So if you have questions about what he's saying, go read the article for yourself. And, um, but he talks about it from a Christian worldview. We need now as much as ever as Christians to test everything and cling to a biblical worldview. In Chuck Colson's book, "How Now Shall We Live," he writes about a father going on a trip to Disney World with his daughter. His daughter was a teenager. His daughter was a teenager, and he planned this trip with his daughter as a type of daddy-daughter trip. He had some current concerns with his daughter. He had they had found marijuana in her purse, and even as they went on this Disney World trip, she didn't seem too eager. And they said uh, they had to go uh, to um, church, even though they're on vacation. Christians should still go to church, okay? So that's all I'll say about that. So they're on vacation. They still had to go to church, and she just had a fit about going to church, so she went reluctantly. She just wanted to to get to Epcot, go to Epcot right away. And, And he's thinking, what have we done wrong? Why is she so upset? Why is she resisting so much? Why is she so angry about going to church where you get to worship our Savior, you know, and so much more? Why? What's going on? And they go to Epcot after church, and they're going through a ride. And I, I don't know what ride it was, but they're going through a ride, and it's a, it's a science-type ride. And they have Bill Nye, the science guy. Maybe you've heard of him. And he's talking about how things came to be. He's talking about what we would call macro-evolution, large-scale evolution, and how we just evolved over the last hundreds of thousands of millions of years. Now we just came to be. And it hit this young dad. This young dad thought, I'm trying to create in my daughter to foster, God does it, but to raise her with the biblical worldview, Whenever since kindergarten, she's been taught against that biblical worldview. Ever since kindergarten, she's been taught that we're just accidents. She's been taught against the biblical worldview ever since kindergarten. Ever since kindergarten, his daughter's education had been against a foundational biblical teaching. He was questioning what happened with her faith, but ever since kindergarten, she had been taught at school that we are merely accidents. And this is not a message to say, don't send your kids to public schools. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to say, test everything. Test everything for yourself and your children and model it with your children. Have these conversations at home where you're talking about what they're taught at school and they're talking about the actual deep worldview questions they're taught at school. And model it in your own life that they see that you are not indifferent to things many times kids see their parents as just indifferent you're indifferent at church you're kind of playing around in the pews i'm not saying i notice that or anything but i do you're playing around you're skipping casually you're not taking notes i think good christians do that type of stuff you know and let your kids see that you care you are passionate about your faith at home and at church i had a professor at cedarville where all good christians go to school no i'm just kidding and i had a professor at cedarville dr Blumerstock, and he said you know why i think kids are leaving the church they see their parents different on Sundays than the rest of the week. Their parents care about it on Sundays, and the rest of the week they don't care. You know what I see? A lot of the parents don't even care on Sundays. And the, the, this next generation, we think it's the millennials. Millennials are already running the world, okay? We're talking, Gen Z, I think it's called, is the actual college age now. And, 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 and they have a hypocrite meter that you wouldn't believe. Test everything. Show it to your kids. Show them that you care. So this particular dad noticed that his daughter was being taught at school from kindergarten up, which she's in school every day of the week, of course, contrary to the biblical worldview that he was teaching. She had been taught macroevolution at school. Macroevolution means large-scale evolution. Macroevolution means that everything has evolved across species. Everything has evolved across species. And, and, and the world is teaching that everywhere they, every chance they get, everywhere you go. They're teaching that at Disney World. They're teaching it that at the schools. They're teaching it on PBS Kids. They're teaching it at the Berenstain Bears. We're going to come back to that. They're teaching it everywhere. And as Christians, we need to test everything. And we need to cling to a biblical world what happens is the worldview of the world is not an accurate picture of reality it it, it's like it's drugged okay so in 2017 Mercedes had to have her tonsils out and adenoids it was a lot of fun and uh, so we take her in. She was in, I think, uh, second year kindergarten at that point. And we take her to the hospital. She's a little nervous. So we're a little nervous, of course. And we take her to the hospital and we walk her up. And, and it's Alliance Community Hospital. They're all like, you know, I um, feel bad seeing a little kid, you know, a five-year-old, I think she was, walk in. And, and I'm concerned, how's she gonna act when they have to take her away from us out of the room? They gave her unbelievable medication. She didn't even know. She had no clue they were taking her out of the room. It was easy. And then she comes back 20, 30 minutes later after having her tonsils out. And as a dad, my emotions just tugged at me because she looked all white. She didn't look too good. And then she starts talking. She's talking a little different. She was drugged, you know? She was drugged. She did not have an accurate picture of reality, okay? It was proper drugs, okay? It was administered by the proper doctors. But she was drugged. And I felt bad. I mean, I look at her, and I felt really bad for her. I felt these weird emotions, like I was even going to pass out. Never passed out, but that would I'd have to check my man card if I said that. But I didn't. And then Mercedes starts talking, and she says... I don't even remember them taking me back. Did they take me back to the surgery yet? He said, yeah, Mercedes, they took you back. Your surgery's over. We felt bad for her. Then two minutes later, she says it again. I don't remember them taking me back. Did they take me back from my surgery yet? Yeah, Mercedes, they took you back. Your surgery's over. Five minutes later, she asked the same question again. And Megan and I just looked at each other and started and kind of chuckled. Listen. Without a biblical worldview, our view of the world is distorted, okay? It's like you're wearing funny glasses. You cannot have an accurate view of creation. We need to test everything, and we test it with the Bible. The Bible corrects our vision, okay? The Bible gives us an accurate picture of reality. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, the Bible exhorts us, examine everything carefully. Examine everything carefully. Test everything. Listen, every form of media is giving us a worldview. Every news source, every movie, every video game, every form of literature, every commercial, really everything that we watch, read, or listen to is giving us a worldview. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the worldview is not the biblical worldview. We need to test it, and we need to test it with the Bible. And don't be indifferent to it. Test it. Test it with the Bible. Certainly, as I said, some commercials or books or movies or news sources are not corrupting our worldview, but that's why we need to test it. And by the way, I, I'll, I'll very rarely say this, but I will say it today. If you missed last Sunday's sermon, I encourage you to go back, read it, read it carefully, and or listen to it, because these sermons are going to uh, build on each other, the biblical worldview, creation fall, redemption, restoration. Why is the world a mess right now? Because it's fallen. We see evidence of that everywhere, don't we? Evidence is everywhere that we live in a fallen world. Why is the United States as it appears to be falling apart? If you look at cities like Portland, Oregon and and other places, what is going on? We We look at things, maybe watch the news or maybe can't watch the news. It's just horrible. You know, and you think, what is going on? We are seeing a culture implode, just fall apart because they have rejected God, they rejected the biblical worldview, and they do not know right from wrong. It says it twice in Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It says the people no longer know how to blush. They don't know right from wrong. And that's what we are seeing go acro- across, uh, across the United States right now. As I shared last week, this is just a review for you. You know, they used to think, or, or this one philosopher thought, we are going to see a clash of cultures, a clash between the Middle Eastern culture, the, the Christian, Judeo Christian Western culture, and the Confucian East. And then one of this guy's students actually differed from him. He said, no. We're going to see a clash, at least in the Western world, between the secularism and the Judeo-Christian worldview. And that's what we are seeing. The Christian worldview is leaving, and there's nothing to replace it with. No right from wrong. And as Christians, we have to be different. We have to cling to the Bible. We have to test everything. And we have to not compromise. Don't compromise. Cling to a biblical worldview. This is important. This is important for you. This is important for your children, your grandchildren. It's important for the kids in here. I encourage you to listen, take notes, review. I encourage parents go home and talk about it. I read a wonderful article this morning about um, deleting family worship. You know, take this seriously. Everyone has a worldview, but most of us do not think about our worldview. It is under the surface. Rabbi Zacharias argued, this is really, really good. Rabbi Zacharias argued that a coherent worldview must be able to satisfactorily answer four questions. A coherent worldview must be able to satisfactorily answer four questions that have origin, meaning of life, morality, and destiny. A coherent worldview must be able to answer origin, meaning of life, morality and destiny. Where did everything come from? How did we get here? What is the meaning of life? What is right from wrong? Where is history going? A coherent worldview must be able to answer those questions. Rabbi Zachariah said that while every major religion makes exclusive claims about truth, the Christian faith is unique in its ability to answer all four of these questions. The Christian faith is unique in being able to answer all four of those questions. Origin, meaning of life, morality, and destiny. Further, taking it a step further, the three tests for truth must be applied to any worldview. Any worldview must also be able to answer these three tests. Consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. As we look at the worldview and we look at the idea of origin, meaning of life, morality, and destiny, we also, may, may, we also must look into, is it logical consistent? What about empirical adequacy, and what about experiential relevance? When submitted to these tests, Rabbi Zachariah said the Christian message is utterly unique and meets the demand for truth. The Christian message is utterly unique and meets the demand for truth. So today we're dealing with the origin question. Today's sermon was too long. And so I've decided decided to split it into two parts. You can thank me later. (laughs) I rehearsed a sermon, so I was rehearsing it last week, and I thought, I'm tired. And I thought, if I'm tired, they're probably tired too. So we're going to talk about the beginning, creation for two weeks in a row. Today, my theme is that everything was created good. Today, the focus will be on God as the creator. And next week, we're going to spend more more time on Genesis 1. My application today is examine everything carefully. Go home and make it a point to examine everything everything carefully. I walked down the parking lot last week. Some kids were playing Minecraft in a van. I said, what worldview is that teaching? (laughs) You know, examine everything carefully. Everything is giving you a worldview. Everything is giving you a worldview. Let's read Genesis 1-1 and verse 31. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created right here time, space, and matter. God created time, space, and matter. Verse 31, Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And I want to read some of Psalm 8 as well right now. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. "...who have displayed your splendor above the heavens, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established your strength because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and their revengeful cease." Now listen to verse 3. "...when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands." You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Genesis one thirty one God saw all that he had made, and behold it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Right here we see that everything was created by God, and everything was created good. Everything was created by God and everything was created good. A biblical worldview teaches that everything was created good, Genesis 1 and 2. And then creation is now fallen because of sin, Genesis 3. Jesus has redeemed us, see John three sixteen. But creation is not yet restored. Creation will be restored eventually, Revelation 21 and 22. Eventually. Romans 8, as I said, all creation is waiting redemption. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created everything. God created everything. And at the end of the week of creation, he looked upon his creation and everything was good. But not just good. God said everything was very good. Everything was very good. There was no death. There was no pain, no suffering. We see, that the, we, we see that pain and suffering and death did not enter creation until Genesis 3. Psalm 8 is about how awesome God's creation of humanity is. Just read that. Then we have Psalm 19, which I won't read right now, also about God's awesome creation. Then we have Psalm 139, about how God knits together a baby in his mother's womb. We are intricately woven together. We need to notice a few things. We must notice that God created, and we must notice that creation was good. God created, and creation was good. God created. Things were created by God. Get this. This is very important. This will be on the test. This is not naturalism. Naturalism is the world as we see it. Naturalism means that, you know, all of all of creation is just what we can see with a microscope or or, or or what we see. Naturalism means there's no divinity, no God, no divine creator. This is not naturalism. God created everything, not naturalism. Realize this. Naturalism would say that everything just evolved, totally evolved. Chuck Colson writes the following: He says: every worldview has to begin somewhere, has to begin with a theory of how the universe began. Naturalism begins with the fundamental assumption that the forces of nature alone are adequate to explain everything that exists whereas the bible says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth naturalists say that in the beginning were the particles along with blind purposeless natural natural laws naturalism would say that nature created the universe out of nothing through a quantum fluctuation that nature formed our planet with its unique ability to support life that's naturalism Chuck Coulson continues, naturalism continues to say that nature drew together the chemicals that formed the first living cell. And naturalism says that nature acted through Darwinian mechanisms to evolve complex life forms and finally human beings with the marvels of consciousness and intelligence. Naturalistic scientists try to give the impression, think about this, naturalistic scientists try to give the impression that they are fair-minded and objective. Implying that religious people are subjective and biased in favor of their personal beliefs. But this is a ruse. For naturalism is as much a philosophy, a worldview, a personal belief system as any religion is. And I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. Naturalism begins with premises that cannot be tested empirically such as the assumption that nature is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be, to use a line from the late Carl Sagan's popular science program, Cosmos. This is not a scientific statement, for there is no conceivable way it could be tested. It is a philosophy, and they are religious with that philosophy. Further, Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy write this. In one of his many best-selling books, Carl Sagan mockingly describes a Christian god as an outsized light-skinned male with a long white beard sitting on a throne somewhere up there in the sky, busily tallying the fall of every sparrow. Sagan regards the cosmos as the only self-existing eternal being. A universe that is infinitely old requires no creator. On that point, that's what Sagan says. On that point, Sagan offers a naturalistic substitute for traditional religion. While Christianity teaches that we are children of God, Sagan says we are, in the most profound sense, children of the cosmos. For it is the cosmos that gave us birth and daily sustains us. In a passage that is almost certainly autobiographical, Sagan hints that the astronomer's urge to explore the cosmos is motivated by a mystical recognition that the chemicals in our bodies were originally forged in space, that outer space is our origin and our true home. Some part of our being knows this is from where we came. We long return. And Sagan says the astronomer's awe is nothing less than religious worship. Our ancestors worshipped the sun and they were far from foolish, Sagan says. For if we worship something, does it make sense to revere the sun and the stars? That's what Carl Sagan was saying. One more Coulson quote about naturalism. This religion is being taught everywhere in the public square today. Even in books your child brings home or gets from the library. Nancy Piercy, the co-writer of the book, brought uh, her son brought home a Berenstain Bears book. They're reading the Berenstain Bears. I love the Berenstain Bears. I don't know about you, but I really like those books, even to this day. So they're reading the Berenstain Bears, and we start out on a, sunny, on a sunny morning, and after running into a few spider webs in the book, we read in capital letters in the book, sprawled across the sunrise, glazed with light rays, the words, Nature, is all that is or was or ever will be right there in a children's book again we are told by the bible to examine everything carefully right here in a children's book what are they teaching what are they teaching what worldview are they teaching they're teaching a naturalistic worldview there are many problems with naturalism but it does give people a worldview without god and this is why i think it is so popular it is a worldview without god Chuck Colson's book, How Now Shall We Live, gives great detail of the problems with naturalists. But, but um, one, one quote which I really like. You know, you know, the intricacy of design is a proof of Christianity and a proof of a God. Here's a quote. Design is the most empirical of the arguments for God based on observational premises about the kind of order we discover in nature. I want to share a few more things. The late Christian evangelist Francis Schaeffer, Francis Schaeffer, wonderful evangelist philosopher, used to offer an argument against evolution that was simple. A simple argument against evolution. It's easy to grasp and devastating. Suppose a fish evolves lungs. What happens then? If a fish evolves lungs, what happens? Does it move to the next evolutionary stage? Of course not. It drowns. If a fish evolves lungs, just suddenly evolves lungs, it drowns. Living things cannot simply change piecemeal, a new new organ here, a new limb there. An organism is an integrated system, and and any isolated change in the system is more likely to be harmful than helpful. If a fish's gills were to begin mutating into a set of lungs, it would be a disaster, not an advantage. The only way to turn a fish into a land-dwelling animal is to, <coughs> I'm sorry, excuse me, is to transform it all at once with a host of interrelated changes happening at the same time. Not only lungs, but also co-adapted changes in the skeleton, the circulatory system, and so on. What's the point? Evolution cannot happen in a piecemeal uh, way like that. It doesn't happen. The term The term to describe this kind of interdependent system is irreducible complexity. And just so that we can all wake up, because I know this is very left brain, everybody say it, irreducible irreducible complexity. That's the term that this is talking about, irreducible complexity. The fact that organisms are irreducibly complex. Organisms are irreducibly complex is another argument that they could not have evolved piecemeal, one step at a time, as Darwin proposed. Darwinian theory states that all living structures evolved in a small, gradual steps, from simpler structures, feathers from scales, wings from forelegs, blossoms from leaves, and so on. But anything that is irreducibly complex cannot evolve in gradual steps. And thus, its very existence refutes Darwin's theory. The concept of irreducible complexity was developed by Michael Behe with a book uh, titled Darwin's Black Box. Michael Behe was a professor of biochemistry at Lehigh, and uh, this book, Darwin's Black Box, talks about this. Behe's homey example of irreducible complexity is a mousetrap. A mousetrap cannot be assembled gradually, he points out. You cannot start with a wooden platform and catch a few mice, right? Can you catch a few mice with a wooden platform? No. You need the whole mousetrap put together, spring, platform, everything to make it work. It will not work with just a wooden platform. Today we can confidently say that his theory, Darwin's theory, has broken down. For we now know that nature, nature is full of examples of complex organs that could not possibly have been formed by numerous slight modifications. That is organs that are irreducibly complex. Take, for example, a bat. They say that bats evolved from mice. But it wouldn't work. Take the example of the bat. Evolutionists proposed a bat evolved from a small mouse-like creature whose forelimbs, the front toes, developed into wings by gradual steps. But picture the steps. Now picture this. As the front toes grow longer and the skin begins to grow between them, the animal can no longer run without stumbling over them. And yet the forelimbs are not long enough to function as wings. And so during most of its hypothetical transitional stages, the poor creature would have limbs too long for running and too short for flying. It would flop along helplessly and soon become extinct. The mouse would never become a bat because they are too irreducibly complex. It could not evolve in a piecemeal way like that. There is no conceivable pathway for bat wings to be formed in gradual stages. And this conclusion is confirmed by the fossil record. The fossil record, in the fossil record, we find no, absolutely no transitional fossils leading from mice to bats. The first time bats appear in the fossil record, they are already fully formed and virtually identical to modern bats. Another example of irreducible complexity, which I won't take apart right now, but Dr. Greg could later on, is the human eye. And in Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy's book, the human eye is so irreducibly complex, it could not evolve in small piecemeal stages. It was created by God. If God created, then we have a purpose. Point one, God created everything. God created everything, and he created everything good. And if God created, then we have a purpose. God created. This is not another view called nihilism. Nihilism, which means life has no purpose. We have a purpose because God created us. We are created, and if we walk through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God giving man and woman a purpose. Man and woman were called to tend the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2.15. We are still called by God to steward the planet. We are called to have children. That is still part of our purpose. We have purpose because God created us. When you take God out of the picture, we are purposeless, and there is no meaning to life. But God created, we have purpose. God created, this is not existentialism. Existentialism teaches that I must find meaning in my life because my life has no meaning. No, God gives us meaning to our life. God created us. God created, this is not hedonism. Hedonism says life has no purpose. Have fun, go for it. Funny as it is though, the people who believe in hedonism are the most unhappy. Life has a purpose because God created us. And our purpose is not to just go for it and have fun. Our purpose is to glorify God and live for him forever. God created. This is not humanism. Humanism teaches that I must make the world a better place for humans. No, God is a creator. Humanism is closely linked with naturalism, which I already mentioned. God created. This is not transcendentalism. Transcendentalism, which teaches nature is God. This is not that. Nature is not God. God is separate from his creation. God created. This is not pantheism. Pantheism teaches, kind of like transcendentalism, that everything is God. Pan means all, theism means God. Pantheism teaches that everything is God. If you watch Star Wars, you've seen the pantheistic worldview, that all is God. Use the force That's a pantheistic worldview. But this is teaching that God is the creator, separate from his creation. God created, this is also not panentheism. Pantheism has a sister, it's panentheism. Panentheism teaches that all is in God. Pan means all in means in theism means god no god created this is not pantheism not not transcendentalism not panentheism not naturalism not humanism not hedonism not nihilism not existentialism god is the creator and the sustainer and he gives us purpose this is what's called theism god is the creator god is the creator do you understand that when we take god out of the picture it does not work I've shown you a fraction of the evidence against macroevolution. Further, the Bible makes clear that God is the creator, and we're going to talk more about that next week. Further, understand this. When um, When God is taken out of the picture, it makes life meaningless. It makes life purposeless. When we take God out of the picture, it leads to what our society is experiencing today, right? I mean, if we went Dr. Phil on America right now, how's it working for us? Not too well. The world's been falling apart for some time because we have no God in the picture, and it doesn't work just to put the Bible back in the schools. We need to heart transformation. We need evangelism. We need people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then go to the biblical worldview. But what I see too often is supposed Christians don't hold to hold to a biblical worldview. It begins here it begins here we take God out of the picture at least to what our society is experiencing today right now there's no authority why is that it is because they have taken God out of society there's no right and wrong because God has been taken out the biblical worldview begins with God creating everything and everything being created good 1st Thessalonians 5:21 examine everything carefully thank you and as an example As Christians, how much do we prepare for Sunday morning worship? Do we treat Saturday night like a holiday night? We're just going to stay up till 3 a.m. and think church is going to be great. We're going to get up all excited to go to church. Prepare. If you have a biblical worldview and if you want to model that in your family, make it a priority. We prepare for Sunday morning worship Saturday night. Make it a priority. Test everything with a biblical worldview. Robert Zacharias shares this. Common is a sentiment among recent college graduates that they went in to college feeling like they knew something, and they leave college realizing, in fact, how little they know. I love it, it's true. Zachariah says, I remember what this felt like, walking down the aisle to accept my diploma, wondering at the irony. Yet, yeah, as uncomfortable as that moment of recognition might be, I am convinced that the thought is an important place at which to arrive, realizing how little we know. Ravi Zacharias tells of being a graduate student when the new Encyclopedia Britannica was released. 15th edition. The 15th edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Listen to this. It was a massive collection that had taken 14 years to produce. And he remembers being fascinated by the statistics. 200 advisors, 300 editors, 4,000 contributors, over 100,000 entries, 34 million dollars, 34 million dollars. For the Encyclopedia Britannica 15th edition, 43 million words. And get this, this is what it said. Even so, in the last pages of that work, one of the editors had the audacity to to conclude this. This is what the end of the Encyclopedia Britannica 15th edition said. The editor said this. Herein contains the entirety of human knowledge. Herein contains the entirety of human knowledge. What's that worldview? You say naturalism, secularism, humanism. We just got to make the better place for humans. The number of outdated encyclopedias lying in thrift stores and recycling bins does not help their point. There's been more encyclopedias. Check out Wikipedia. Herein lies the entirety of human knowledge. No, God created everything. God created everything good. We need to test everything. We need to cling to a biblical worldview. We need to do this for ourselves, no matter how old we are. We need to do this for our children, for our grandchildren, and we need to hold true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you help us. Help us testing everything. Help us, Lord God, clinging to a biblical worldview. Lord God, we cannot do this on our own. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit guiding us, indwelling within us helping us, supporting us. Lord God, help us as Christian parents to model that and model valuing the spiritual disciplines, valuing the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Help us as parents, grandparents and and, and so on and and certainly as singles to model the biblical worldview. And if there's anyone here, Lord God, that needs to repent of anything, may they not hold back. Today is a day of repentance. Today is a day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior to believe in you as the one and only Savior, to trust in you, and to commit to you. Be with us, Lord, trusting in you and following you, persevering in the Christian faith, holding true to a biblical worldview in a world that doesn't tolerate that, being prepared to live out 2 Timothy 3.12 that says all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Help us being bold Christians and yet also gentle.